So we're going to jump into our message. Today, is, uh, we're continuing our series called The Great Escape. Now, The Great Escape has been our walk through the book of Exodus. We've been walking through the book of Exodus. This is our 93rd message. My wife was like, wouldn't it be awesome if we end up with exactly 100? And I'm like, well, we'll just see. We only have about a chapter left to go, so we will see what we've got to happen. But what we've been looking at is really um, the march of the Israelites out of Egypt, which is a picture of sin, a picture of the world, the Israelite individual, uh, or the Israelites as a body, they represent the individual believer. So you and I, as we come out of you and I, when we're lost, when we're no longer, when we no longer, when we don't know Christ, um, we're bound in sin. We're, we're enslaved to sin. And then what happens in that Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture of sin. And those Israelites were brought out of Egypt. God sent a deliverer through Moses. And Moses is a picture of Christ. And he brings us out of sin by way of a deliverer. And then he takes us into a place called the wilderness. We're in the wilderness as we speak. You and I, if we're in our Christian walk, if you're saved, guess what? You're in the wilderness. And what's the wilderness for? Full of. It's full of choices. It's full of mistakes. It's full of opportunities. So what we're going to do today is we're going to continue in our walk in the midst of the wilderness on our way to Canaan. And Canaan is that place, that land of milk and honey, right? And what we're looking at there, that's the place where we find satisfaction. We're not to find satisfaction in this world. We're supposed to be sustained in this world. We will, and God promises that he will sustain us. But our hearts and eyes need to be upon the Lord and upon Canaan, which is the abundant Christian life. So as we're going to move forward today, last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the ephod. Okay, we've been in a series that we're talking about the holy garments. These are the, the, the clothing of the priests. And two weeks ago, we looked at the ephod. Now, the ephod was kind of like a decorative apron that was worn. Super, super decorative, had all kinds of details and stuff like that. But on the shoulders of that ephod, it had these two stones. And those stones were onyx stones. And on those stones were written out the names of the tribes of Israel. There was six on one stone and six on the other. Then, and, and what we saw there was the fact that what it was a picture of was actually the fact that Aaron, as the high priest, this is his clothing, as Aaron would go before the Lord, he would bear the people upon his shoulders as a laborer for them. So it was a matter of carrying the load or carrying a labor upon his shoulders. Then we moved on to last week. We talked about the breastplate. Now, the breastplate was something worn here. Now, the bottom part was woven fabric, and it was attached to the, to the ephod, but it had these golden uh, sockets in it. And in those individual places, there were stones, the 12 stones for the 12 tribes. And in the individual names of the tribes were listed out there. And what we saw was there was a significance. The shoulders bear the burden. That's a labor. And then we saw here that God talked about the fact that with the breastplate, it was to be over the heart. And what it was a picture of was the fact that as Aaron served the people unto God, he did it with his heart. He did it out of love. So it's a, a picture of us laboring for the Lord, putting in our efforts, but at the same time doing it because we care doing it because of a place of love. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue on. We're going to wrap up the garments. I know you're probably like, oh, finally. But we're going to wrap up the garments. We're going to get all of them in today. So we're going to talk about the robe of the, of the ephah, of the, of, the, of the priest. We're going to talk about the, the coat of the priest. We're going to talk about his miter and his bonnet. So we're going to talk about the different aspects of that as we move forward. And what we found through all of these things is every single one, specifically the way they're laid out, what they're made of, how they're meticulously created is all pointing to deeper biblical truths. And that same thing is going to maintain today as we finish up and wrap up the Holy Garments Part 3. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, for the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. And God, I do pray that you'll use this message, Lord, to speak to us. Uh, God, I know that I have labored over this scripture and I've prayed over this scripture, Lord. And I pray that uh, I know you've spoken to me and I'm asking today that, Lord, I would get out of the way that the human element would be removed from this message, God, that I could just disappear. Uh, Lord, that you might speak through me. 
Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to hear what it is you have for us, God. Every part of the word is profitable, Lord, for us to grow. And I pray that today you will challenge us to become more than we were before. Help us, Lord Jesus, have ears to hear that we might hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Exodus chapter number 39, verses 22 through 31 is where we're going to be today. Uh, and that Exodus 22, uh, 39, 22 says this, And he made the robe of the ephod of woven work all of blue. When it says the robe of the ephod, this is the robe that's going to be directly beneath the ephod. And this blue, if we remember, we've been talking about the different colors in the Bible and what they represent. And what we found is the color blue. Does anybody remember? Just me. Really? Okay. The healing power of God. <laughs> the healing power of God. You guys got a zero on your test. Man. Man. Okay. Don't, if I asked you that again, what would it be? Man, you guys are killing it. Right on. All right, so the healing power of God. So this robe is all blue, okay? And this robe is going to be beneath the ephod. And what's interesting about this is the breastplate of judgment, right? We had that breastplate, and God named it and labeled it the breastplate of judgment. It was made out of white, red, blue, purple, and gold. And on this thing, we saw the, the mounted stones. Now, this was the outer layer. That's as far out as we got, which that that breastplate. Then the, each, what was interesting about that was the ephod and the breastplate. They're supposed to mimic the tabernacle. They're made up of the exact same colors as the interior of the tabernacle, which is a picture of God's holiness. So the ephod is the next layer. So we have the breastplate on the outside, then there's the ephod that's inside of that. Remember, the breastplate's attached to the ephod. And what we find is the fact that the ephod and the breastplate are actually conjoined. They're hooked together by gold chains, and they're laced together. So this is supposed to be one unit. It's built in different portions, but it comes together as one. And we see that that aspect of judgment is there. We see bearing the weight of the people in the ephod on the shoulders. Then we see bearing the heart of the people and bearing the people before God in the breastplate. So what we find here is underneath that next layer, so we've got a layer with the breastplate and the ephod, which is representative of judgment. And below that layer, the next layer is that solid blue. So beside judgment, we have the healing power of God. So what divides the man from judgment is the healing power of God. See how that's specifically God lays these things out. This is all designed not for looks. It is designed because it teaches us something much, much deeper. And what we so cool about the fact that if you think about the healing power of God, I can tell you, as a personal person who's personally experienced the healing power of God, the power that it has in your life, if we remember who we were and where we came from, the moment that we received Christ and the moment that relationship was established through His love, because right, we love Him because He first loved us, right? So there's this beautiful thing where God comes to us and the healing power of God impacts us. And what it did for me, man, was the fact that there was a judgment that I should have faced, a judgment that I should have faced. But because of the healing power of God and the gift that was offered from the cross, guess what? I'm set free from the judgment of sin. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Guess who we are? We're the Greeks, okay? In the Bible, if you see that, the Jew and the Greek, we're the Greeks. We're not Jews. But the thing is, we're not ashamed, man. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because of what it's done in our life, what God has done. And we look at the fact that God has brought us. I know where I came from, man. I was sin, sick, lost, broken, reprobate on my way to hell. Right. Amen. <laughs> but God, man. But God intervened. And he said, you don't deserve it. You're not worthy. But I love you anyway. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's the heart of God. Verse 23 says this, And there was a hole in the midst of the robe as the hole of a habergen. A habergen is basically talking something like a, almost like a short sleeve 
long shirt with a brand with a rent with a with a band round about the hole that it should not rent. So what we see here, and I've got a picture of it to give you an idea of kind of what we're looking at. So we see here that the robe we're talking about is here. So here's the ephod, there's the sash, here's the breastplate, and this is here. So it's talking about that neck hole and it's been embroidered there. So it's kind of like a short sleeve shirt. And what's interesting about this robe is the fact that it is a personification or a manifestation of the healing power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's pictured in this as we've got the judgment outside. And what's so cool is in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that everything's pointing to Christ. Everything is pointing to Christ. You can find a way in every which way that it's pointing to Christ. In his first coming, absolutely. Tons and tons and tons of references pointing to the first coming when he came as the Savior. But the majority, the entire Bible, the theme of the Bible, the overarching message of the Bible is the second coming of the Lord. It's all about him coming back and finally getting the glory that he deserves. Can you imagine if your name every day was slandered, if your words were taken out of context every single day? How would you feel? Who's ever experienced that before? Someone just took your words out of context and said you said something. You're like, dude, that is not at all what I said. And they're like, I hate you. And you're like, what? Right? This doesn't make any sense. Or they, or they destroy your character, right? And yet you did nothing. That's, that's the everyday story of the Lord. The distortions of his word, the distortions of who he is, lies about him. But there will be a day when, by praise the Lord, he will get his glory. And what's going to be so cool is he's going to deal with sin, first of all. And after he deals with sin, he's going to bring that healing power upon the earth. Revelations 20, verses 12 through 15 says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. The dead bodies came out of the water, and death and hell delivered up the bodies, the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. The death, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. There will be an ultimate judgment for everybody. People go, well, you know what? This guy did this and no one ever got, you know, he, he got away with it scot-free. I'm just telling you this right now. There ain't a person on this planet who's ever got away with anything scot-free because there will come a day. Not that we want judgment upon someone, but understand, if you don't believe that this is a world of justice, there is a justice that is going to come and it will be universal. It will collect every single solitary person who's ever lived. But we see the judgment, right? That outer layer. But what comes after judgment? Healing, right? Healing. And look at this in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there, were no, and there was no more sea. And I saw John, and I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Listen to this last part. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God. What have we been studying? The tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. Amen. And be their God. And listen to verse 4, man. And God shall wipe away all, the, all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He says, look, I'm going to bring a healing on this planet. It's been torn up. It's been destroyed. It's been distorted. It's a mess. And he says, but I will make things right. Amen. And that day is coming, praise the Lord. Once we get past the judgment, we find ourselves in that healing, the restoring power of God. And God will restore and heal his creation. Pictured in this blue robe, it will be at this time that God's heart, God's healing power, and God's majesty will be recognized and honored by all of his creation. And as he will heal this broken world and the light of God 
The light of God is going to emanate from him. It's going to pour forth on his creation. Listen to this in Revelations 22, 3 through 5. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. I want you to remember that phrase. And it says, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Okay, we're going to talk about a forehead in a bit. And there shall be, verse number five, and there shall be no, no night there. And, there, and they need no, and need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And Revelations 21 tells us specifically who this light is. Where does the light come from? Revelations 21, 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the light. There will be no need of an S-U-N because of the S-O-N. In. And that light is not going to be just light, man. It's going to be light that has filled with love. It's going to be a perfect intimacy with the Lord. We can't imagine what it's like. Who's ever walked out, man? You're cold. You walk outside and you step out of a shadow and the sun hits you. And you're just like, oh, like today, man, it feels great. Can you imagine if that light and that warmth that came along with it was followed by an unbelievably intense love that filled your heart and connected you to the one that created you? That's what we're talking about. So this robe is a picture of the power of restoration and healing. Verse 24 says, And they made upon the hems of the, of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and twined linen. So based upon my studies, what we find is a pomegranate is actually a picture of fruitfulness, a picture of prosperity. Verse 25, And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates upon the hem of the robe round about between the pomegranates. Remember, I've been telling you guys about the robe that has the bells on it. This is the robe that has the bells on it. This is the one we've been we've been talking about. So the golden bells. What's interesting about a bell is a bell is a representation of professing, professing or proclaiming. Okay, it's professing or proclaiming. We might call it preaching. So here, these pure golden bells are a picture of the preaching of the pure word of. God, a picture of the pure preaching of the Word of God. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15 says this. <clears throat> oh, actually, no. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says this. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. And if you're here today, it's because... Now, if you're here as a believer, that is. If you're here and you don't know Christ, that's okay. You'll have an opportunity to come to know Him. But if you're here today and you are a believer, it's because somehow, some way, the pure Word of God got to your ears. It was proclaimed to you in a message, through a friend, through the word. Who knows? But the word of God is what impacts the heart. Romans 10, 14 to 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Someone to proclaim the truth. A preacher's not just me. That's anybody that shares the truth, man. That's not, it's anybody. It's a child, anybody who's willing to share the truth. And verse 15 says this, And how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's who we're supposed to be, man. Share the glad tidings of good things. So we see as Aaron moved about, what's interesting is the fact not only visually, was he supposed to stand out and represent the glory of God through the beautiful colors? But also, the bells. As he moved around, what happened? The bells proclaimed the, gl- the glory to the hearer. And what we know is God's plan has always been to use his people to proclaim the truth. Has always been his plan. And what happens with us, we're supposed to be the ones that share the truth. The church is God's vehicle for sharing the truth of the word of God. And if we consider uh, what's happening with the good news in our own lives... Are we, as, a, as an individual, 
because we can't speak for us as a whole, but individually, is our life professing the good news? Is the way we live, the choices we make, the things that we do, do these things profess the good news to this world? Because I'm telling you right now, they're looking for good news. They're looking for help. They're looking for hope. You and I are supposed to proclaim the good news, the pure word of God. Now, that's done in word, certainly, but it's also done through our life, the way we live, the choices we make, the things that we do, the lifestyle of our life. Philippians 1.27 says this, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The conversation means the conversation of your words, but also your actions, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, he says that I hear good news about your lifestyle, the things you're doing, the choices that you make, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, that's the key. We should be striving together. We work individually, but we also work as a unit. That's the reason why the body's so important. That's why the church comes together, that we've been edified, we get built up, but also we're strengthened by the fact that as a number, we come together with a common cause. And what's beautiful, if we're born again children of God, we have one commonality. The world's full of all kinds of divisiveness, no doubt about it. You can find divisions in every which way. And no matter where you find human populations, guess what you always find? Divisions. There's always racism. There's always class warfare. There's all this garbage that humanity brings into the mix. Because realize that the devil is all about taking differences and distorting them and making them larger, create more division. But what does God do? There's only two families in this world. There's a lost family. Those are the devil. And there's the saved family, those children of God. And God sees only those two. All this other stuff, God doesn't see it. He says, I see my children. I see those that I want to be my children. And you and I have the same kind of tunnel vision. We have to see the world the same way. We can't see divisions and all this stuff. We can't have political arguments. It's stupid. It's a waste of time. It's not about that. What we do is we put our hearts on the Lord and we say, you know what? I don't care what this world says. I don't care what people do. It doesn't matter. I have one mission and one mission only which is to reach the broken person. And if God puts him on my path, Democrat, Republican, irrelevant, doesn't matter. It's a soul. It's a soul, and that's what God sees. He sees past the outside of the way we look. He sees past our socioeconomic level. He sees past all that stuff, and he sees a human being who he loves. And that's the heart that we must have for this world. Verse 26. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, round about the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord commanded Moses. He's simply saying, look, there's a pattern here. Pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. So this hem will have decorative woven pomegranates, blue, purple, and red, that are sti- they're made out of stitching. They're going to hang down. And then between them, space between them, is these golden bells. There's the picture you can sort of see right along here on the bottom. Okay? So pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. All right? All the way around. So now, the, there's, now that's the hem is really intricate and it's really cool. But there's something really neat because there's another hymn in, Bible, in the Bible that's really, really cool. And I talked about this when I actually did the, the, uh, the instructions on how God told us about this. And we talked about this hymn. But I want us to pay attention scripturally to this other hymn that's in the Bible. Matthew 9, verses 20 through 22 says this. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him, talking about Jesus, okay, and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned, uh, turned him about. And when he saw her, he said, daughter, of, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. See, she experienced the healing power of God up Amen. close, right? Right up close and personal. And there's nothing magical about the hem of what he's wearing. 
It's not about that. It's not about the, the hem of the garment. It's the faith. It's the faith in him. In the H-I-M, not the H-E-M. It's faith in Christ. It's what happened here. The reason why she experienced that power or they experienced that healing power is it was not because of the fabric. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the fact that she had faith in her heart. She said, look, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And he says, thy faith hath made thee whole. So, but this was no ordinary hymn. Listen to this, Matthew 14, verses 34 through 36. And when they were gone over, right, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, of Jesus, they sent out into all that country roundabout and brought, upon, brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made perfectly whole. Again, the hymn is relevant only to the fact because of who it's attached to. It's attached to him. Remember that Aaron is a picture of Christ. He's supposed to be a picture of God. It wasn't about touching his sleeve. It wasn't about touching his back. It wasn't about touching his neck. It wasn't about any other part. It was his hymn. You know why? Because if you were going to be humble before someone and they had a long, long outfit on and you were going to touch just the very bottom because you were humble before him, you were on your face, that's the part you'd have access to. They're not walking up and going, hey, Jesus, how's it going? How about healing me, buddy? No, they're on their face in the dirt, just saying, if I could just touch just the bottom. Humility, humbled before God, humility. Because it's to understand, what makes us humble is a clear image of God. If we have a clear image of God, humility is the natural result. It always happens. If you go in Scripture, every time somebody comes in the presence of God, what do they do? They fall on their face, they fall on their face, they fall on their face. The only time you see somebody fall back in the Bible is whenever God confronts evil. You see these guys on TV touching people and they fall back. An indicator of the fact that that is extremely wrong is it goes absolutely contrary to the pattern that God has. When you fall in reverence to God, you fall forward. When Jesus confronts the soldiers in the garden, it says there's a whole 600 men standing there. And he says, I am. What did it say? They fell back. Back. That was a side note. That's not my message. But anyway, just a little detail for you. Uh, but understand, if we have a clear view of God, we will be humble because understand there's one word that describes him, love, right? And there's one word that describes us prior to salvation, sinner. Love, sinner. He's holy, we're not. He's righteous, we're not. He's good, we're not. And the world's full of people that try to tell themselves that they're good. But if you get a good look in your own heart and you really look into the reflection of Christ and you compare yourself to that, you realize you are not good. Isaiah 6, 5 says this, Then said I, this is Isaiah, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Man, he is undone. He says, look, I'm overwhelmed by what I see, because God is so amazing. Isaiah saw himself for who he was, and it's a matter of that, that comparison to, God, to God's holiness, that allows us to realize how unholy we really are, why we're in such desperate need of a Savior. When Thomas came face to face with Jesus, what happened? Thomas, whenever Jesus appeared, it says in John, in John 20, verses 27 through 29, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. He says, look, look at where I was crucified. Reach hither thy hand, and listen to the word he used, and thrust it into my side. He doesn't say, take a look. He says, why don't you just jam your hand up inside that hole inside of me? You don't believe it's me? Just thrust your hand up, and, says, and he says, be, and it says, and be not faithless. But believing, he said, you need some proof, Thomas, here. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Overwhelmed. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, 
because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have seen that have not seen and yet have believed. When we see God for who he really is, man, we, are, we understand the fact that you and I, by his grace and his grace alone, that we're even here. God loves us in spite of who we are. We all know who we are. We all know what we've done. We all know what has run through this mind. We know actions and reactions that we've had in this life. And we say, are we good? If we're honest, we know we're not. But God loves us anyway. And it's that reverence of his love that should help us to see him with a clear view. And it's not until we get a clear view of him that we can actually be people of faith. Because you have to have faith in something. If you don't know what you believe in, how can you have faith in it? A clear view of God allows us to see that. And understand that the power that's determined in all these actions we saw here with the woman, we saw here with, uh, with John, or with, uh, with, the, with, the, with the, the, uh, the, the ones that were healed, it was faith, faith, faith. Faith is where the power comes in. Look at this, and as Peter, Matthew, uh, Matthew 14, verses 28 through 31, and Peter said, Peter answered, and said, answered him and said, Lord, if, thou, if, if it be thou, bid me come out upon the water. Okay? He says, look, if that's really you, Lord, you know, he says, hey, you, you tell me to come on out here. And he said, come. Right? Jesus says, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Man, he was doing it. He's walking as if it's in solid ground. He's walking on the water. But then the next word is, but. Yeesh, that's never good. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he saw the strong winds, he was afraid. Over 365 different times in Scripture, the Bible tells us not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. Because what does fear do? Fear impacts faith. And what happens? He says, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and saith unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Faith is the key. It is the power in our walk. It's all a matter of faith. And it's our level of faith. Imagine this. Think about this as the priest, right? The, holy, the, the priest of God, the high priest. He's getting ready to walk into the Holy of Holies. God's warning that he's going to die. Imagine the faith that it takes to step through that veil. Okay? Imagine the faith it takes to step through that field. The stakes could not be any higher because, man, it, his life is on the line. God said, if you step in here and you're not worthy, you're going to die. Why do they tie a rope around his ankle? So when he steps through there and the bells, what do the bells do? The bells tell him he's still alive. When the bells stop, you drag him out. He's dead. Because he was not worthy. And what we see here in Exodus 28, 35, it explains this. It says, And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. Aaron's testimony, his sound, right? The sound of the bells, it reflected his service to God. It reflect, reflected his faithfulness to God. It reflected his heart before God. So his comings and goings. In all of his service, as the people would hear him moving about, right? What does it say? There's Aaron. He's in the tabernacle. He's being faithful. He's doing what God asked him to do. Just like his failure to do what God would do, God told him to do, would be resonant in his silence. Because if he walked in there and it suddenly became silent, he was not worthy. He was not faithful. God would end his life for that purpose. My question to you is this. Does our service to the Lord through our comings and goings ring of faithfulness in the ears of the lost world? 
Does our service to the Lord through our comings and goings, how we live this life, does it ring of faithfulness in the ears of the Lord? Or are we known for our silence? Because our supposed work, they're dead. Because in actuality, we're serving ourselves. And we have to check our hearts every day. Amen. Because guess what? Our service should ring of the glory of God. Right. It should bring glory to his name. The Bible says, let your, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This life is not about us. It's about bringing glory to the Lord. Verse 27. And they made coats of fine linen of woven work for Aaron and for his son. So now we go to a coat. So we've gone from the robe to the coat. Underneath the robe is the coat. That's a long sleeve white um, garment that we're going to see. I have to get the picture up there. We'll look in. So this long area, this is the coat. Okay, so here's the robe. Here's the coat. Now, what we see here also is the fact that that linen is supposed to mimic what is the outer court, the very outer court, which is a picture of righteousness, a picture of righteousness which is in the white fabric. So that's the thing. They're supposed to mimic that. Thus revealing under the breastplate and the ephod, which are connected to judgment, we find the blue robe, God's healing power, which results. Now, what does the healing power result in? When we have judgment and then the healing power comes along, the end result is then righteousness, right? Righteousness. And if you experienced God's healing power, then guess what? You have become righteous in the eyes of God. Now, not because we're righteous. Does anybody here believe you're righteous? No. Just throw your hand on up there or just stand up and proclaim it. <laughs> we're probably not going to do that. And you know, I'm just telling you, in our, in our flesh, in our humanity, we're not righteous. There's no way in the shape or form. But God is righteous. And what we find is the fact that we get to borrow his righteousness. I'm not righteous, but God is his death, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his blood, his righteous blood was given for the sake of sin. So that I'm stuck in a flesh, a body of flesh, yes, but the soul that lives within me, it has been redeemed. Amen. And when God sees this soul, he does not see sin. He sees righteousness. Amen. Not because we're deserving, but because God is filled with grace. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Mm, right? right? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, hath, for he hath made him sin, made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. White coats. White coats picturing the results of God's healing power. So Aaron's coat was interesting because Aaron's coat was fashioned a little bit differently. It's the same color. But what's interesting about Aaron's coat is it would have been made with no seams in it. It was made with no seam, just one solid piece of fabric. And there's another one in the Bible that shows up, which is really cool. In John 19, verses 23 through 24, it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat, okay, his same undergarment. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, don't tear it. But cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. That Psalm 22 is what they're talking about, Psalm 22:18. That is a thousand years before Christ. One thousand years. Do you realize this United States is only a couple hundred years old? You imagine generations that is? And God wrote it way back then, saying that, you know what? They're going to cast lots, and that's exactly what they did. And here we see this high priest garment, man, it's quickly recognizable. 
Every part of Aaron was linked to the Lord Jesus Christ, revealing the fact that he was supposed to be a walking, talking personification or representation of God, but also the dwelling place. That's why all the colors match up. And this is verse number 28. And a miter of fine linen and goodly bonnets of fine linen and linen breeches of fine twine linen. Breeches are like board shorts, okay? That's basically what we're talking about. These guys were wearing some, some white shorts. But it says here they made a, fine, a miter of fine linen. So for Aaron, he's going to get a miter. It's a special kind of a turban. And then the other guys, they get these things called bonnets, okay? A simpler version of a turban. Verse 29. And a girdle of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet of needlework as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this is talking about the turbans. Uh, the, the turbans are going to be plain, but also the girdles you'll find. So their, their robes are plain white. Their hats are plain white. But the girdles that they're going to wear, the priests are going to wear, it's designed to mimic the rest of the tabernacle. Notice the colors. Cleansing. It's representing red, blue, purple, gold. Representing the cleansing power of God, or the, the cleansing of God, the healing power of God, the royalty of God, the deity of God. And then their white robe is going to represent the righteousness in their white coats. And this is just a little side note, and I don't know if it makes any sense. But anyway, I'm going to throw it out there. As I was praying about this and as I was studying this message, I thought about this little interesting thing. Think about doctors, right? What do they wear? White coats, right? They wear white coats, and it's very symbolic. They're a picture of care and of, uh, and, uh, of love and of healing and of caring, and, and they've adopted this symbol through a white coat. And what is it? In the Hippocratic Oath, one of the things that it says, they shall do no harm. They are to be good and righteous, right? Isn't it interesting that they chose a white coat? And if we go back in the Bible, the picture of righteousness way back here, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, is a white coat. I just thought that was curious, but probably means nothing. Anyway, take it for what it's worth. But then we go to the mitre, okay, the mitre, which is the hat. Verse 30, and they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it a writing like to the engravings of a signet holiness to the Lord. What this is talking about is a little gold plate that they're going to make that's going to go on that turban. They're going to tie it onto the front of it, but it has a plate on it. And on that plate, it says holiness to the Lord. So this small plate of pure gold um, will be engraved with that moniker upon it, thus symbolizing that the mind of the high priest was to be pure, as well as reflect the fact that he was a servant to God above any other duty that he had. The high priest was sanctified. He was intended to be holy, just like you and I, man. If we're going to go to the Lord, we need to be holy. We need to be holy. We also focus our time and attention and energies on being happy. But happiness is an unattainable thing. You never reach happiness and it's like, man, ah, no, I'm good. And they lived happily ever after. Anybody believe that's true? No, because the next day something happens. Man, I'm not happy anymore. I'm dissatisfied. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Right? So happiness is one of these things that we chase, but we can never find. Right. But yet there's holiness. Now, what's cool about holiness is the byproduct of holiness is happiness. We find ourselves content and fulfilled if we seek holiness. So we see this aspect of this. So it's a matter of having a clean heart, but most importantly, it's talking about the mind. This means that not about, not about uh, having things in our lives that are not pleasing to the Lord, things in our minds, things in our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18 says this, Wherefore, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So he says, look, I need you to get out of the world. All the things of the world that you're involved in, I need you to get out of those things. Come out from among them and be ye separate, he says. And he says, and touch not the unclean thing. Those things that you know you shouldn't be involved in, get out of them. Get away from them. And he says, the result of that is, I will receive you. Verse 18, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. He says, not only will I receive you, but I will have an intimate relationship with you. A father and a child 
relationship. If you're experiencing that right now and you're working on the holiness in your life, what's cool is it's not necessarily a big leap. It's an incremental thing. As we work on our holiness, what we do is we feel that intimacy developing and getting closer and closer, just like any other relationship. When you first get saved, you're like, man, I don't know anything. Guys, I would never, was not raised in church for, you know, 19 years ago. My first church service was the day after I got saved. I'd never seen a Bible up close. No one ever presented the gospel to me. I knew nothing about God. But the beautiful thing was, as I started to learn and as God dealt with my heart, our relationship got more and more and more rich and more beautiful. And that's the thing is, if you're on the road, man, just keep on track. It's not always going to be easy. But guess what? No relationship that's worth having isn't going to take work, right? Who's in here is married? Does it take work? Man, y'all are dead as a doornail. I mean, it takes work, does it not? I mean, heck yeah, it takes work. Yes. If you're going to have a worthwhile relationship with God, it's going to take work. Amen. People just want it to be like, I got saved. Shouldn't it be all great now? This is easy. This is walking the park. God, shouldn't you take away every adversity in my life? Shouldn't you just all eliminate it, be gone? And you know what? I just get to walk peachy keen on the, on the cloud tops, and it's going to be wonderful. That ain't the way it is. You know what? God allows adversity in your life. You know why? To develop our faith in him. These people here, that woman had an issue for 12 years, for 12 years, and she heard of a man, and she, she knew the scripture. She was like, you know what? I know there's a Messiah that's supposed to come, and he'll have healing in his wings. If I could just get to him, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, that would do it. She was right. She developed in her faith, and guys, every day, it's a struggle, but every day, I'm telling you, it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. In order for uh, this to happen in us, we must uh, first be filled with, uh, we must not be filled with the sinful things of this world. And this has got to always be our goal. We're trying to refine our walk. We're trying to eliminate those things in our walk that are not pleasing to God. But what if we've already blown it, right? What if we've already blown it? You go, Pastor, you have no idea what's going on in my life right now. I'm a mess. I know I'm in church today. But if I were to sit down and I was honest with you and I told you everything was going on, you'd be disgusted. Not true. Because guess what? I'm human just like you and I got all kinds of issues that I've struggled with in my life as well. We're all just a bunch of sinners, right? We're seeking God's grace. We're seeking God's face. What you got to understand the fact that, hey, if you've blown it, it doesn't matter. God says, look, you know what? There's another day tomorrow. I've given you a new day. My mercies are new every day. You can wake up tomorrow, and guess what? Yesterday may have been a complete bust, but tomorrow we start off and go, you know what all I can do? This one thing I do. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to press forward because that's all I can do. Because you know what happens after that 2 Corinthians 6, 17, and 18? We go to 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, what we just heard, get away from those, seek, you know, get away from the unclean things, separate yourself from the world. Dearly beloved, cleanse, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. That little plate, right? What did it say? Holiness to the Lord. Man, if we, if we don't fear God as Aaron did, and we're not, well, then we're not going to cleanse ourselves. Bottom line, that's the truth. We're not going to deal with the issues in our heart if we're not afraid of the Lord. And I don't mean fearful. You're just like this, but you're fearful of hurting God. Right. If you're a child of God, man, we don't stay clean because we just simply want to have a good reputation with the Lord. We do it because we love him. Amen. My goodness gracious. If you care for somebody, you don't disrespect them. You don't do hateful things to them. You do things in reverence to them because you care about them. And if we understand how much God loved us, man, we love him because he first loved us. He showed us what love is. He's pictured it for us. He suffers for us. 
Yeah, we don't want to go through any suffering. I don't want to go through any tribulation. I want life to be easy, peachy keen, no problems. No. And God says, hey, look, if you love me, if you love me, put me first. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's willing to do these things. Holiness or righteousness is attainable to anyone through the healing power of God. See, God wants to restore. He specializes in it. On our sign and on your shirts today, it says, a place of restoration. Because that's what God specializes on. He takes the broken and he rebuilds them. Mm. And so you look in Jeremiah, what happens? He tells Jeremiah to go into the potter's shed and he looks in. And he doesn't see the potter making a perfect, perfect pot. The Bible says he looks in and he sees a pot that is marred. It's damaged. Guess what? You and I, we're damaged pots. Amen. Every one of us. Amen. We got dings and holes and junk and hair sticking out of us. We're a mess. With our clay, we're, we're a mess. And here's the potter, man. He's working on that clay, and it's marred. But what does he do? Does he throw it away? No. The Bible says that he reworks it right there. He puts pressure on it. Amen. He takes this mess, and instead of throwing it away, he, he focuses his energy and efforts on that piece of clay. And he takes that, he picks out the impurities, and he centers it. He centers it on himself. He centers it on the wheel, man. He puts pressure on it, and that's the part that hurts. We want life to be easy, but it's not always easy because we're not on track. We're a pot full of garbage, and we're a pot that's marred, and God goes, no, look, I'm trying to make you something that I can use. And I said, we'll just let him do it. It's going to feel uncomfortable. And as he centers it, he pushes it, and he puts pressure on it, and he centers it on the wheel. But once he gets it centered... Once it's in place, what does he do? He starts to lift it up. And he reforms it. And he makes it a vessel fit for the master's use. See, that's the goal. This life is supposed to be, your life is supposed to be used for the glory of God. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit and used by God to do something great. And what God's saying is, you know what? Jeremiah, the reason I want you to see that damaged pot is because that's you. Because guess who's the pot? I'm the potter. Hey, guess who you are? You're the clay. And I'm telling you, he's working in our lives. So if right now you've got some thumbs in your back and you're feeling the weight of God pushing on you, hey, just wait. Let him shape you. Let him form you. Because you know what? He's got a plan that's going to be awesome. <clears throat> Verse 31 says this, And he tied unto it, and this is talking about the gold plate, he tied unto it a lace of blue, imagine that, to fasten it on high upon the miter as the Lord commanded Moses. So this plate is to be worn right on the forehead. Right on the forehead. We see it's tied Right across the top. We again see the holiness of God in this gold plate connected to man through the healing power of God. Notice it is a blue lace. You see, our connection is always, our connection to God is always by way of Him. It's never by way of us. We're never good. We're never worthy. Yet, but God, but God's holiness is something we have access to. We get to borrow it because of Him. Exodus 28, 38 says this, speaking of Aaron, this is further instructions in Exodus 28. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, okay, that plate, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel will, shall hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Remember what it said back there in Revelation 22.4? That his name was in their forehead. The same exact picture. The holiness of Aaron's mind, symbolized by his turban, would allow him to be able to bring the tainted gifts of the people before God. You see in his role as a high priest, he was to picture the Lord Jesus Christ. Aaron is bearing the iniquity of the people within himself, bearing their sin. 
And Aaron is a picture of the sin bearer. Exodus 28, 39 says this, And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him shalt anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. They are prayed over. They're prepared and they're ready. They're sanctified for the service unto God. Never forget what God said about us. Remember back in 1 Peter, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this in 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, speaking to the church, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So the ceremonial consecration that these men would go through, guess what? You and I should be doing it every single morning. Every morning. Every morning we start out on the right foot. If you go, you know what? Yeah, I read my Bible. I usually do it at lunchtime or I do it at night. Hey, whenever you choose to do it, I praise the Lord that you're going to do it. But I can tell you, if you're going to spend time with the Lord, the best time I can tell you to do it, try to do it in the morning. Start your day right. Feed yourself spiritually. Nourish yourself with the Word of God. Spend time with Him. Pray and connect to the Lord. As priests, our commitment is ongoing. We are to be sanctified from the world that we might minister unto God. You see, we are... uh, we can all, if we're, if we're in our flesh, if we're not doing that, what we find is through the day, we don't minister to God. We minister to ourselves. And that's where our attention and efforts will be. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God is, Paul is praying, or begging the people. He's going, look, if you could just understand that this thing's about serving God, do it with your right heart. Do it, because he, and understand, he knows the weakness of the flesh. We saw in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about the whole breakdown of the fact that he struggles with his flesh. You and I struggle with our flesh, and he knows that. And this is where he gives another warning. He says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be shaped by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our task is to fashion our lives after God's word, not the world. We are so easily drawn to want to look like this world. And it is not profitable for us, and it's certainly not profitable for God. We're born into this world, but we don't have to look like this world. We're supposed to, God will heal our hearts and our minds if we'll allow him to do so. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's going, look, we're supposed to reconcile this world to Christ. And he says, I've given you, that's your job. Sanctify you from the world. Do this priestly duty. Do what I've called you to do. And the last thing in the instructions that God gives in, in, gives in Exodus 28, 43. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons. They shall come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar of ministry and to minister in the holy place, and they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever, and him, his seed, after him. So incredibly what we see here is the fact that these men did not take their role lightly. Because they understood that their life was on the line. That they die not. The priests could die. Aaron could die if they did not serve God correctly. And see, they don't have the advantage of existing and living during the age of grace. You and I, we live in the age of grace. Man, we're we're free from the law. Praise God. Jesus took care of so much for us and took a load off of our shoulders. These men are trying to live by a law. But what we find is because you and I are not under a law, that we like to take advantage of God's grace. Amen. We like to take advantage of the fact that God says, well, hey, you know, I don't want to do all these things in order to be saved. I'm already saved. So since I'm all set, you know what I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to kind of do what I want. That's right. Amen. How many people know people that claim to be Christians who look just like the world? Amen. 
Amen. It may be us, right? And they claim the name of God. Listen to this in Romans 6, verses 15 through 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid, he says. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He says, look, do you not realize that whatever you submit yourself to, whatever you allow to have control over you, is what you serve? If you're going to, say, if you're going to give yourself over to sin, guess what you're going to do? You'll serve sin every day. Right. You'll wake up in the morning and you're going to serve that flesh. But if you give yourself unto righteousness, guess what you do? You'll work up and you'll serve God. You'll serve God. He says, but... He says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. You were. That's who we used to be. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being made free from sin. Praise God. You became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. He says, look, I'm talking to you straight up. I'm being honest with you because I understand that people struggle with this stuff. And I'm trying to tell you, look, don't serve sin. Serve the Lord. And listen to this. He says, contender on. He says, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, just the same way that you gave yourself over to sin and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so... Now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. The same way you used to serve that flesh, be that dedicated to serving him. And if you will, he will serve, you will experience the holiness of God. And it seems that so many of us don't take our service seriously because our life's not on the line. If I sin, God's not going to kill me. I'm already good. Right? It's just one little sin. What's the big deal? I mean, it's one cuss word. What's it going to hurt? Just a couple of drinks. What's the big deal? Man, I mean, you know she's good looking. Why wouldn't I? Right? We try to make reasons why things are okay. We try to justify our actions somehow that God sees it not as sin. But understand, God is the same. He changes not. Right. If it was wrong 5,000 years ago, it's wrong today. Amen. God does not change. We can fit the culture. Amen but we will not fit God. And what reveals the fact that our lives are not on the line and we know this is the way that we're connected to our flesh. Because what happens? We value our connection and our tie to this temporal world more than we connect, more than we value our spiritual connection to God. We're set on the temporal and we lose sight of the eternal. Set your affection on things above, Mm -hmm. not on things of the earth. This is a struggle for every single solitary Christian on this planet. I don't care who you are. I don't care how sanctified you are because you are going to struggle with this stuff. Bottom line is our ties are strong. The whole problem is our tie to the world is our sin. Our tie to God is righteousness. Okay? So we figure out which one am I focusing on. Am I focusing on sin or am I focusing on righteousness? Which one do we value more? Luke 17, 33, and I'm almost done. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. What he's saying, he said, if you live this life for this fleshly world, you're going to miss out on everything I have for you. But if you'll miss out on what you think this world has for you and you'll live for me, you're going to experience a life that you never dreamed possible. Praise the Lord. If we've been redeemed from God's judgment, pictured in the breastplate, praise God, then through the healing power of God came into our life, pictured in that blue robe. And the result of that is the white coat of righteousness, who we sit here today, not that we're righteous, but we're righteous in the eyes of God because of His righteousness. 
and you're a child of God. And you see him for who he is. At some point in your life, you've seen him. How can we ever, how can we ever be willing to give up this life that we're supposed to live for him? How can we not give up sin? How can we not give up these things that are of the flesh? How can we not see ourselves for who we really are? Not fool ourselves into believing we're something that we're not. It won't be until we take our eyes and affections off of this world and in gratitude come to God as a living sacrifice. And when we do that, then we can be holy and acceptable unto God, which is, which is our reasonable service. Right? That's what God's trying to do in us. Our life is on the line. And see, there's two lives. There's the life for the living for the flesh, and there's living for God. And your life is on the line, but the question is, which one is on the line? Which one are you willing to die for? Which one are you willing to let go? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. My heart for this church is that would be the heart that we would have. Not to follow the world. Not to look like everybody else. Not simply to conform and meet for church because that's what we do. But that God would grip our hearts for the things of God. That holiness would be our focus. And that our life would profess to this world. And that the life that we live, man, like the bells on Aaron's clothing, would resound the fact that he was faithful. And I'm afraid many of us are silent. Our life is on the line. The question is, which one are we willing to sacrifice? The flesh or the spirit? Every day we get to choose. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. And thank you, God, for the message. I know this is heavy subject matter. And Lord, I'm so thankful for each one that, uh, Lord, stuck with me through this. And uh, God, I know that you have a purpose and a plan for all these messages. And Lord, you're trying to refine us, God. You're trying to shape us. And Lord, right now we might be a lump of clay that's got a lot of issues, but God, I pray that you just uh, continue to work on us and help us, Lord, not to fight the process, but Lord, help us to be malleable, help us to be flexible, help us to be willing to accept, uh, God, your hand in our life. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to submit to your perfect will, help us to look into our own hearts, to see the issues that we have to deal with. God, help us to be honest with you and honest with ourselves. And Lord, if we will just simply come to you, Father, you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for the body of this church. Thank you, Lord, for our members. Thank you, Lord, for those that are joining. Thank you, God, for those that are visiting today. And I pray, God, that you help us, Lord, to see our own hearts clearly the way that you do. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be children of the Most High. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm... (coughs) I can't tell you that I necessarily understand everything we talked about, and that's okay. But listen, if you're here today and you say, you know what, if you were to ask me right now if I was on my way to heaven, I'm not sure. I don't know. 19 years ago, somebody asked me that question. They said, if you died today, if this is your last day on earth, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And then I searched my heart, and I said, I hope so. If that's you Hope so is not good enough because we could lose our life today, tonight, tomorrow. If this is our last chance God gives us on this earth and Jesus Christ died on that cross because he loves us, he offered us a way through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a way 
to be set free, to be saved. As Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says immediately he did that. And I'm just telling you that today. If you're here and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, he will save you right where you are immediately in your seat. Wherever you are watching this recorded, watching this online, wherever you are. This does not take a preacher. This is a matter between you and the Lord. And as God's calling your heart, you know if he is. He's asking you to respond. And I'm going to help you to pray. But it will not be the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. Let me tell you that right up front. If you pray this prayer and you don't mean it, you may as well hold your tongue. But if you will call out to him and you're earnest and you're honest, God will save you straight and change you forever. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. What I'll do is pray out loud. You can pray in your mind and repeat after me. And if you receive this gift and you do it earnestly, God will save you forever and ever. Their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I trust and believe that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. God, I'm not worthy, but I know you love me. And it's by faith that I ask you now to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, understand if you prayed it and you didn't mean it, don't raise your hand, please. But if you prayed today and you were sincere, just as an indication to the glory of God, I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to point you out. All I want you is raise your hand so I know to pray for you. Raise your hand in the air so I can see it. Just raise it up and say, you know what, I made that decision. Amen, I see that hand. Anybody else? I made that choice today. I made that choice today. Thank you, Lord God, for your, met, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your hand in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the word of God. Thank you for the incredible pictures we've seen through these holy garments. And I pray that you help us, Lord, not only to recognize the healing power of God, but Lord, help us, God, to personify you in our, cho- in our choice of walk, talk, and action. God, help us, Lord Jesus, to proclaim the good news of the gospel through the bells of the glory of God in our lives. Help us to share the pure word with this broken world that they might come to know the God that we love. Thank you for saving. Thank you for working. Thank you, Lord, for today's message. In Jesus' name, amen.